what do I really want? And when you're clear about it and you can share that with someone, even whether it's a man or a woman, but you can share it with the person that you care about in a way that's attractive. Women tend to be bitchy and angry a lot sooner than they should. It's never good to be a bitch. Welcome back to Flashback Friday. What I love about this episode today is there are some really high point moments. If you want to listen to the full episodes, please go back, listen to full episode. But there's some certain high point moments that we captured in this clip, in this episode for you, that I really think you're going to love. So uh, get ready for another great episode. Andrew, what would you say about this one particular? Yeah, I mean, I just love how the team just goes and finds uh, all the best moments. And so uh, it's a little bit of a cheat code for you here on Flashback Fridays just to just to enjoy the, the peak experience moments uh, of the show. Because uh, ultimately, I mean, the guests that we have on this show are incredible. And also, I understand that it's not always easy to digest a full episode, you know, every single week. So enjoy Flashback Friday uh, today. You're really going to love this. So um, enjoy and let's get on with the show. How do we use rage? It's like handling a firearm. How do we responsibly handle this? I loved your answer earlier around going inside instead of taking it out. The dark feminine actually takes responsibility and speaks to what she's feeling and what the person is feeling in that moment rather than repressing it. So I don't know if there's a question in there. I think so. Let's see what comes up for you. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Rage is so important. We oppress ourselves when we suppress rage. And here's why. Rage, there's a reason. Our emotions are always honest. They may not be commiserate responses or reactions to what's going on, but they're always honest. So when we choose not to express it or to feel it, it's in our energy no matter what. So you're not expressing your rage. The resentment is building and it's building and it's building. It's there whether you choose to go into it or not. When we express rage in a controlled way, and what I mean by that is we are expressing it somatically through our bodies. This is the sacred rage, right? We're doing it in a way that is not towards anyone else or anything else where you're not raging at your kid. You're not raging at your partner. That's not sacred rage. That's abuse (laughs) most of the time. And so unless they are a facilitator and they've consented to play a role and you're working out some healing stuff, that's not okay. So we suppress it because it can be dangerous. We suppress it for a lot of different reasons for our own trauma. We want to be liked. Our commitment to being liked is more than our commitment to being authentic or being honest. When we don't express rage, it's a self-abandonment and we allow ourselves to self-abandon each time until it builds up. And then we explode or something happens where there's such a deterioration, but like it's our own integrity that's deteriorating. With rage, what does it tell us? It tells us where we're self-abandoning. It tells us where our boundaries are. And when we actually express this super primal emotion, we'll talk polarities again. It's like on this side of the spectrum in terms of kind of a primal emotion, like you could see a caveman doing it. And then there's this expression that we would deem higher that's on the opposite end of that, which is this ecstatic bliss or passion. And so this is also really related to our sexuality. Our ability to express rage is like also our ability to experience pleasure and our ability to come into different spaces. We learn our boundaries. We learn where we're self-abandoning. And when we actually have a somatic experience where we express that, our frequency and our vibration, it's like we express it with such fierceness. We're no longer available for that thing anymore. 
And we can actually communicate with words and set the standards in real time with people in our lives or like for ourselves, like, ah, I'm in a rage because I keep eating chocolate every single night and I know sugar is causing me this. I'm just so angry with myself. And then when we allow it to fully be expressed, it's like, okay, I don't want to do this to myself anymore. So I'm going to choose to make different agreements to myself. And because I've processed the emotion of what self-abandonment has felt like and the anger I have, it's alchemized to something else that can set new standards. That was a lot of information, but sacredrageparty.com if you're listening. (laughs) It's good. By the way, just speak to that. What is sacredrageparty.com? What do you actually do there real quick? I am going to teach people how to feel their rage through their body, how to access rage. Cause I did not know how to access my anger. Like I remember talking to Dr. Brian Lum, who is one of my mentors. I know he was one of your mentors and I'm like, Brian, how do I feel anger? He's been on the show too. Yeah. He's one of the best shows out there that we've had on the better than rich show so far. So if you haven't listened yet go back, listen to Dr. Brian Lum for sure. Cause he's a mentor to both Jen and I, and he's awesome. And also, I'm very curious to hear your thought here. Go ahead and keep going there. So I was like, how do I feel anger? (laughs) And it was something I had so much trouble accessing. And in the past, I would consider myself a very analytically heavy, logic heavy person. And it was hard for me to tap into my emotions. I almost had to sink into my emotions. I'm sure some people can relate to this where it's like, how do you feel? I don't know how you feel. I know how you feel. I can see how you feel. (laughs) Um... Let me think about things. Oh, well, this didn't make sense. It didn't line up. And then I would be able to access some semblance of feeling. TheSacredRageParty.com, what that is, I'm throwing a party to teach people how to feel their feelings, (laughs) specifically how to feel rage, where we can go to the depths of it and do it in community and feel our rage. It's a lot less dangerous. It feels a lot safe. And I'm going to teach you like safe practices to do it with yourself. So it's a virtual party. And we're going to do it in real time. And there will be a recording. I'm also going to teach why we need to do this. I'm going to talk about some of the stuff I've talked about here, like what rage does for us. And it allows us to be, and this is from a facilitator, Frank Mondios. I don't know how to say his last name, but he talks about being emotionally current. He is a facilitator with the International School of Temple Arts. And I love this term, emotionally current, because when we're emotionally current, we can hold an equanimity and a neutrality in situations. So it's like, when I'm responding to you about something, I'm responding to the issue at hand, instead of me responding to you from a place of the guy that cut me off this morning, that thing that you did two years ago that I still haven't forgiven you for, (laughs) and I haven't talked to you about it. That's so important for the health of our relationships and like the health of our relationships with our children and our own health. Is there a healthy way through a meditation practice to experience the rage that we're talking about? I think that's what I'm hearing because the rage on the outside world is releasing it, but we don't want to necessarily just release it because it's only temporary. I really want to heal it. And that happens through somatic work that we're talking about. But that requires the stillness, which is almost opposite. Again, forgive my ignorance if I'm missing it. But this is what showed up for me as I was hearing you talk. Again, I don't know what the question is, but maybe there's something there that you can pick on. Your feelings are not here to be healed. Rage is not here to be healed. Rage is actually a super important component of our whole system, the emotional system specifically. And this is kind of where our conditioning comes in, where it's like, these are bad emotions. 
So how do I heal them? How do I get rid of them? When you're angry and you listen to what that anger has to tell you, and then you take action, because anger and rage, they're very action oriented. They're actually so useful because when we're like heartbroken, sad, and disappointed, we don't want to move. We're sad. And then we go into like anger, like, ah, I'm angry about this. Good. Then we actually do something about it to improve our quality of life. Once we actually do that thing, I'm having boundaries here. Beautiful. We don't trigger the rage as much. Feelings are not here to be healed. At the premise of kind of our culture, don't be depressed. If you're depressed, here's a pill for that. If you're sad, it's like, no, the full spectrum of what it is to be a human being is to experience all of it. And in terms of the meditation, I think it's both for me. And listen, I am more meditation through movement. I'm definitely more tantric in my lifestyle where the mundane becomes sacred. Smelling the flowers is a spiritual experience and becomes like a meditative experience. Sacredness through the senses versus I think more Buddhist philosophy of this meditation and coming into, and stillness is a part of it sometimes, but I'm not of that lineage of like, go into meditation and that's more Vipassana, Buddhist, and then you achieve peace. And I also think men resonate much more with going within and meditation. I think that's like part of the masculine. And I'm willing to have an exploration here because I'm not an expert in meditation because I don't do it that often. But yeah, this is a cool conversation to have with two men. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about relationships are men and women. I have a perspective that seems to work. I'm not saying it's true. I don't know if it's true, but it's worked better than any other perspective. In other words, if I consider it this way, my relationships seem to work better, okay, with the opposite sex or with people in general. And what I notice is that there are motivations that we all have. And from a woman, usually the motivation comes from a fear of not being attractive enough. Now, I have an interesting point of view on this too, because most women think, oh, I'm not sure I'm attractive. Oh, am I attractive enough? Or is she more attractive than me? Or it's a fear of, well, maybe I'm not enough, which is why I find it's hard for women to tell you what they want, because they don't even think they deserve whatever they want. So they just want little things. But this attractive is not what it appears to be. Most women think it's about what does my hair look like and do I have the right makeup and am I the right weight and blah, blah, blah. I think it's about how are you able to attract? What's your capacity to call towards you the things that you want? Are you attracting, not so much attractive, but attractive in the way that I would say, is your nature open enough to see that you have the power to call something towards you? And that's what I feel women have the power to do. Their natural nature is to call. Men's natural nature is to respond. So we can look at a lot of different things. You know, there's fighter and the fly. There's the essence. And, you know, you're attracted to a scent. But I look at it from that way. Do I think it's that way? I don't know. I just find if I look at it the way it seems to work better. So I consider, okay, I can call towards me. I have the power to attract. And my fear or my motivation is going to be that I need to handle as a limiting belief is I'm not attractive enough. So when I get caught up in that, I remind myself that, you know, I can attract what I want. I'm okay. This is fine. I'm worthwhile. 
I deserve this. And I work on that piece of me. What I find with men is their fear or their motivation is, can I be successful? Am I going to be able to produce? Will I get it done? And you see a lot of men that they wait to start. I think part of it is, and I don't know if this is really true. I'm just saying I use this as a perspective and it seems to work, that I kind of deal with men as if they might be concerned whether they're going to be successful. So the way I deal with a man as a woman is I don't help them because that would castrate them. That would prove to them that they can't get it done if I do it for them. So what I do instead is I believe in them. I put something out that I want. And if my guy says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I would say, honey, I know you can. I believe in you until that part of him is assuaged to the point where he's willing to try. And boy, you know, you tell a man how great he is about what he did and he'll want to do more of that. So I just think any human being can do anything. It's the fear that's in the way. So a woman can have a bit, let's go and talk about an appetite for a minute. Now, women seem to me, at least I talk to my girlfriends and they tell me, well, I don't know if I should want that. And I'm not sure if I I can have that. And so I feel like appetite is like a muscle. You got to get it going. It's not important what you want in the beginning. It's important that you can want something. And so I give my women an exercise. I say, okay, sit down and for 30 minutes, I'm going to time you. I just want you to make a list of everything that you want. And after two or three minutes, they stop and they go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because they're judging themselves. And I get them to the point where instead of figuring out, is this really what I want? Because that's what they're looking for. I get them just to get eased into wanting. And it's like starting a motor. Okay, now that you can want something, and if you can sit down for half an hour and just draw out everything I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, we've got an appetite motor going. Now you can say, okay, what's really important to me? What do I really want? And when you're clear about it and you can share that with someone, even whether it's a man or a woman, but you can share it with the person that you care about in a way that's attractive. Women tend to be bitchy and angry a lot sooner than they should. It's never good to be a bitch. The fear of being a bitch to a guy is much, much more powerful than when you're actually the bitch. It's in an attractive way. Can you clearly share what it is that you want and come from a place that you deserve it? And then can you let your guy do it? Can you let him take as long as he takes if he takes longer than you would have? Can you let him do it in a way that is not quite as complete as you would have done it at first? And let him go and believe in himself, then eventually that teamwork starts working. And I have found that when women are clear and attractive and loving and about what they want and they're clear with their guys, guys will do anything to give it to them. How might a woman be okay receiving? How do they strengthen that relationship? I have more questions and that was like amazing, but you just triggered that question. And before I go back to everything else that you just said, how might a woman be open to receiving? Like letting him do it because that's letting go of that control. And in our environment, in our society, women are like the bosses of the household a lot of times, the bosses of their business, the bosses of their jobs, the bosses of the parenting. So they put on so many masks of masculinity because they have to be in the masculine energy where it's hard to just let them do it. It's hard to receive sometimes. Well, here's the deal. I don't think masculinity is about being the boss. I think it's about being the boss the way that you are. Are you the boss in a feminine way or are you the boss in a masculine way? 
and a masculine expression of being in control or giving an order or an instruction or guiding someone or mentoring someone is going to be different than a feminine energetic kind of vibration. And I think that women tend to think they have to be a man when they're the boss, because it's been told to us that, you know, when you're the boss, you're masculine. And no, when you're the boss, it just means you're in charge of producing the result, that you are the manager of it. And so you can do that in a masculine way or a feminine way. I think with a woman, though, the thing that she needs to, most of my girlfriends that I think about that I've worked with over years, and this has taken years and years and years for me to learn too, is that we have to be willing to allow someone else to do it for us. We've been told so much unconsciously from the time that we're little that we're not worthwhile. We're not as good as a man. It's a man's world. What we want is really secondary. We should want dolls and not fame, or we should want this and not that. Boys can't cry, but girls can. So you can be weak. So we must be weak. There's so much going on that says we're the inferior sex. And, you know, as a woman who's been in the boardroom my whole life, I never really noticed it because I just was accepted by everybody. But boy, there have been some organizations I've been a part of where there was a real boys club. And I thought, whoa, this is what people are talking about. Suddenly, I can't train the CEO because I'm a woman. I have to train the director of HR. Those little kinds of, oh, yeah, we'll take care of the CEO and vice president and the executive of sales, but you take care of the, (laughs) okay. It's an interesting kind of thing. So we don't really know how worthwhile we are. And then when we find out where we're worthwhile, we don't have a lot of models to be able to express that in a feminine, nurturing way. We think that we have to take on a man's way to tell somebody what to do and be a boss that way. There's a lot of stuff going on. This is a special time in history. Oh, my gosh. This is all the everybody's been talking about this for thousands of years, this particular time in history. This is the age of Aquarius. This is the age when it's happening or not. This is the age where the indigenous tribes say the eagle and the condor is going to fly wingtip to wingtip across the rainforest or not. The condor being nature and the eagle being masculinity and the mind and all of that kind of stuff. How do we bring those two energies together in a way that is cooperative? And it's not a guaranteed thing that it's going to work out. Well, it starts with conversations like this. What can someone do under the umbrella of self-discovery? It's like, I want to really understand myself even better. I know these fears exist. I know I'm spending my money this way. I'm spending my time this way. Are there any practical tools that have served you or that you provide to your following that's like, all right, these are some other ways that you can learn more about yourself and trust yourself? So in 2017, I got invited to speak at Institute for Integrative Nutrition's national conference about self-love. And up until that point, I wasn't explicitly talking about self-love. But the person that invited me was like, I mean, obviously, this is baked into everything you do, how you move through the world. So in giving that talk, I developed this framework that I didn't realize was a framework until a year or two later, because they were just my bullet points for the talk. But then every year when people join the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, they get the archives of all the talks from all the conferences ever. And so each year, every time a new cohort would start, I would get tons of DMs, get tagged on all these posts on Instagram because people would watch my talk and be like, oh my God. And this is one of those things. And I want to share with people around the self-trust. 
So often the things that come most naturally to us feel like nothing. It feels like we're not even doing anything. So why bother sharing it, right? Because we're so attached to things needing to be revolutionary or innovative. But it's often not until you put yourself out there and then see the reflection come back to you that what you said or what you did was really helpful for other people. So I share that piece because I want to share that framework because it's the answer to your question. But I also want to share that example for people of you don't know. If you're just sitting around afraid and not doing stuff, you won't know because you'll never be able to give your own self and you'll never see your own self in the light that you need to have reflected back to you from other people to see if what you're doing is even worth it. And that kind of goes again to that getting out of the radical individualism thing. Even the idea of being self-made, that's such bullshit because everyone has support. Even if you're doing like the lion's share of stuff yourself, you wouldn't be able to if not for the other people in your life, even if they're not directly helping you like deliver whatever it is that you do in the world. So there's that part. But my self-love framework that came out of that talk, there's five parts to it and it goes in order on purpose. It's self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-acceptance, self-trust, and then self-respect. Self-awareness, like we already mentioned, you had to be able to observe yourself and see how you're actually showing up to life and in life, in the different areas of life. I usually classify that as health, wealth, relationships, and then personal development or spirituality, whatever you want to call that. But then the self-knowledge is the thing I was already saying is who are you and how are you built? And here, this is where I love personality tests, typologies. I personally love things like astrology, human design, the gene keys, because those things, they're not the be all end all. We don't need to revolve our lives around our astrological chart or our horoscope, but it just gives us some details and whatever resonates with you. You could be like, oh yeah, that does make some sense. I am built like that. What I love about those things too, even the ones that are self-assessments is it just helps us to see how different we are from other people which also helps us to make those choices that we were talking about earlier. We always have choices we don't realize we have that are more appropriate for us. Because one of the things we all waste a lot of time on is making choices we think we're supposed to because they work for other people. But if we're not built like the people whose advice we're taking, each time we fail or it doesn't quite go the way we wanted it to, you have to be able to go, oh, that approach wasn't for me. Not, oh, what's wrong with me? It works for other people. So that's the self-knowledge piece. And then the self-acceptance is so important because we can't move into self-trust or self-respect until we just accept that we are who we are. We're built the way we're built. Some things we could work on, some things we can't. So the things we can't, we've got to accept and learn how to deal with. Like I was telling you before we started the interview, I have my notebook here. I write things down. I have ADHD. So sometimes I go on tangents or lose my frame of thought and I got to be reeled back in. You're already noticing my tangents that I go on, but I always try to loop it back. And then, you know, we all have great strengths. We all have things we really suck at. And for me, one of the biggest blessings is accepting the shit that I am so bad at so I could hire people or get help with those things and not waste my time doing those things. Then after the acceptance piece, it's easier to trust because we've rooted out with self-awareness, self-knowledge and self-acceptance stuff that we would have had resistance to before. Then we're more open to trust because we're relinquishing a bit of control because we've accepted some things and identified more things that we can't control. And then the ultimate part of it is self-respect, because then each time we make, I always talk about ABCs, right? Actions, behaviors, and choices. We can let those things be based on all the other parts of the framework. 
which lets us show up more as who we are, trusting ourselves, making those choices, and it accumulates into, it's easier to be courageous. It's easier to like choose yourself and be yourself because that's one of the things most people are so afraid of rejection. They're constantly trying to be what they think the world wants to avoid rejection. But when you do that acceptance step, you don't have to do that. Wow. I'm so glad I asked that question. I really love that framework, awareness, knowledge, acceptance, trust, respect. I think it's a really beautiful framework. All right, Better Than Rich Show listener, thanks for sticking around to the end. If this episode inspired you, if it motivated you, if the connection that you're getting from our guests and from us resonates with you, we just want to extend a little offer to you to help you regain some time. Because one of the things that we've realized as busy entrepreneurs is that our time is the most valuable asset that we have in our business, but also with our families, with our health, with our personal growth, uh, all those certain things that we want to grow in our lives, they require time, they require energy. And we've launched a service that we've been doing for now for over a year that has a lot of traction in the marketplace that just sources a team of virtual assistants for you. And so if you've never had a conversation with a member of our Better Than Rich team before on our virtual assistant program, you're missing out. It's an opportunity to learn more about what we're up to. And ultimately, we help people regain 80, 100, 150 or more hours a month, every single month. And what might that do for you? What might that do for your life? What might that do for your family? If you want to live a life that's truly better than rich, time freedom is a big part of that. So Mike, where can people learn more and why should people at least book a call with our team? Well, first, I think it's very simple for you to just go book a call. It's free. We'll hop on uh, with you, one of our team strategists, and we'll just poke around your business. Worst case, you figure out what your dollar per hour wage is and what your time is worth, and we'll at least make sure you leave with that. Best case scenario, we could give you a team of two or three or more virtual assistants to just get all of your admin offloaded. So make your way over to VA, that's VA as in virtual assistant, dot betterthanrich.com. So that's va.betterthanrich.com and book your call. All the details are on there. The pricing is on there. We're an open book. We just know that this service is really helpful. So va.betterthanrich.com and we look forward to our conversation with you soon.